Hello folks, today seems to be a perfect day to listen to the fresh 43rd episode of the Startup Blender podcast. I'm your host Ucha and our guest this time is Chris from the UK. Chris is a chef brand designer and creative director at House of Hiatus, which is a digital brand agency that has been designing exciting brands since 2002. Chris's role there revolves around creating and enhancing the visual identity, online presence, brand perception and discoverability for various businesses, organizations and communities. But besides his professional work, Chris has a very interesting background in breaking the Guinness World Records. Yes, you've heard it right. He is part of the first team to cross the Atlantic Ocean on the trade wind second route in around 60 to 70 days. And this obviously is one of the main topics we discussed during this episode. Other than that, my today's guest has been an active traveler digital nomad and world explorer, documenting his journey on his blog, Tales of Adventure, and inspiring others to do the same. We had a very interesting chat in this episode. We talked about his experience through Guinness World Records, his professional life as a creative director, and different exciting projects that he develops on the side. Enjoy! Welcome everybody to the Startup Blender podcast about startup life and some other stuff. Hello, Chris. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining. How are you? Good, good. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying the, the sunny weather in, here in Tallinn at the moment. It's, it's a lovely change from what it was in the, the deepest depths of winter a few yeah, exactly. weeks ago. <laughs> Such a rare occasion, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's lovely. Great, yeah. But to get uh, our listeners up to speed, tell us about yourself. Who are you? What you do? Well, uh, my name is Chris. Um, I run a creative agency here in Tallinn called House of Hiatus. Um, I'm originally I'm, I'm British, so I'm originally from the from the UK. Uh, I've got quite a, a complicated professional career, which I'm sure we'll dive into later on. Um, but essentially, in the in the past, I've worked for the BBC. Uh, I've been a commissioned Royal Marines Commando Officer. Uh, I've worked with Elton John on a project, um, worked with Bear Grylls and a few other people uh, in in really kind of odd circumstances uh, along the way. Um, but I'm excited to be exploring Tallinn um, these days in Estonia to to see this wonderful, you know, wonderful place that uh, I didn't really know too much about kind of three or four years ago. But yeah, I feel like I'm I'm in the, I'm living in the future here in Tallinn. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, we all feel like that. But uh, how long have you been in Estonia? Uh, I've been in Estonia since March last March twenty twenty two, so oh. just a year and a year and four months. Great. And how how do you, how do you enjoy your international life here? Uh, I love it. I think it's I think it's brilliant. It's it's that real blend of kind of Nordic nature, the health and wellness. I love the sauna, the sauna experiences. Um, the access to nature is is perfect for mountain biking and just camping and and, and hiking. Um, and then I come back to to Tallinn, and I work in in a super advanced digital infrastructure. So it's really the best of both worlds. I can I can work you know, super hard and super efficiently, and then just and then just close the laptop, grab my tent and my sleeping bag, and go and, and go off finding some some beautiful nature. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I totally agree to that. But before we talk more about your digital nomad life and uh, also your international life in Estonia, let's dive right in. 
uh, to the topic that I bet most of our listeners would be interested in. So <laughs> tell us about your Guinness World Record. You are part of the first team to row the Atlantic on the trade wind second route. So what was that all about? Tell us. Yes, yeah. So this was a project some six years ago now, and it feels it feels so startling to say that, but uh, essentially I was part of a five-man team that rowed from Portugal in obviously in the, the, the base of Europe down to South America, so down to French Guyana, um, a country just on the on the kind of the shoulder of, of South America. Um, and we originally set out to break the the world speed record to go from Europe to South America, which stood at 48 days off the top of my head. Um, but through circumstances that were in and outside of our control, so we had some boat malfunctions um, that stop, made us stop in the Canary Islands and Cape Verde um, off the coast of Africa. Um, we then became the first, when we set off from Cape Verde, we actually had a message from the Ocean Ocean Rowing adjudicators to say that if we made it to to South America, we'd be the would would make a world first record, um, which Guinness World Records would would recognise as the first team to to row from from Africa to South America. So, yeah, it was a, a really really strange um, expedition. It, it went it lasted almost three months. Uh, really really uncertain time. Um, lots of challenges with the boats, the boat malfunctions, it breaking down. Uh, running out of a kit and equipment, social challenges on the boat with five five guys, and not sure if we're if we're going to ever make it to our destination, um, and just this really crazy experience that um yeah has, has taught me a lot about life and running business. <laughs> so, <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, I can imagine. And what part of the year was it, and how many days exactly did you spend on the boat? Uh, so it was we started off in December and we arrived in. Uh, kind of mid to late February off the top of my head um, and so yeah so it was almost almost three months it was 67 days off the top of my head 66 or 67 days in in total um, with a few stops in in the Canary Islands and, and Cape Verde um, uh, one, of, one of the standout th- parts of this expedition was crash landing into the Canary Islands on Christmas Day uh, in 20, 2017 um, and looking looking for somebody to to repair our broken rubber uh, rudder, uh, which is a, a carbon fabricator who you would not find, you know, in many places in the world. And somehow we bumped into a carbon fabricator to fix our rudder. And so this expedition that looked entirely like it was off um, somehow, you know, it was clawed from the depths of failure to to carry on going, um, which ultimately results in the world record. So, wow. yeah, astounding. <laughs> Very nice. But uh, was it was it actually inter- intentional that uh, you started in December, because it's like you know, yes. all this time. Yeah. So I'm not sure kind of how much your listeners will know about um, the, kind of the Atlantic Ocean. Essentially, it's a it's a big kind of weather system that's sorry current system which goes from um, roughly the Canary Islands down to South America up the the coast of um, North America up to the coast of North America across to Greenland and Iceland and then back back down kind of via the, the UK. Um, but essentially to you, you you leave in in kind of the winter months um because when you when you're roughly looking to land for the, you know, if, if you're rowing to the Caribbean for example then you'll start to encounter hurricane season um in in sort of autumn every year. So you, you set off purposely later 
to to avoid hurricane season because you don't want to be you know crossing an ocean in the middle of a hurricane especially not in a an eight and a half meter carbon fiber rowing boat which is you know it's <laughs> tiny it's the size of you know a small bedroom isn't it so you, you don't want to be taking on a big storm with that thing <laughs> Absolutely. And speaking of uh, avoiding those kind of encounters, uh, what were the biggest challenges for you, you know, during those times? Biggest challenges? Good, good question. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things going on because I, I worked in a career in London. So I was running, I was, I was um, working with organizations um, being based out of London. And so I was, I was used to a very kind of busy, frenetic lifestyle, which would be catching up with clients and partners and friends um, to then Going, going from very busy lifestyles to very little during your day um, was, a, was a real, it was like putting the brakes on life. You know, you, you just you just came to a screeching halt um, and basically just had to concentrate on the same, looking at the same waves, you know, <laughs> talking to the same people every day for, for months on end. Um, and it was, it was a, a very strange experience because I decided to do my master's degree whilst I was on the boat. So I, I took a long um a little ipad which i could download all the pdf files for the the pre-reading so i wanted to make the most use out of of that big expedition as possible um but looking back now with the benefit of hindsight it taught me much more than just you know studying my master's degree it taught me loads in in you know kind of social situations and planning and contingency plans and and continuity and, and lots of things actually which helped my run my business which you wouldn't think to to kind of link the two things of rowing across an ocean versus running a business, but they're they're intimately connected. <laughs> Great, yeah, no, that, that's uh, absolutely very interesting. And I mean, I bet whoever listens to this story, like uh, you know, thousands of questions are coming up. <laughs> uh, one of my questions that I also asked you do, during the event because, like, when I first heard, I was fascinated. Like, like, because I can't imagine, right? Like so many days you spend on the boat going somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is the thing that you miss the most during those times? Like normal human things, you know? Like for you personally, what was that? Good question. Well, I think that, I think the most, the most interesting part of it is you adopt something called polyphasic sleep, which is you sleep for, for up to two hours, then you do two hour rowing shift, then you rest for two hours and and um, so on and so forth. And it's like that the entire you know months of the expedition. You 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 never get more than two hours of sleep in any one time. So um, your 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 body needs kind of much more than that to kind of heal from the the salt sores that you get and just generally kind of relax. You know, go into deeper deeper sleep, um, relax more. Um, so you kind of miss just sleeping in a bed and, and having some privacy because you're you're cramped into you know, like a, a two meter, two meter at the very most, tiny little box cabin at the very end of the boat, um, which stores your your equipment supplies, it stores your some of your food, um, your personal belongings, you know, so you've got your, your you know, your iPad and your headphones and your very little, very little things which you can afford to lose if the boat, if the boat, you know, kind of, if they went overboard, for example. Um, so you just, you miss space and sleep that's more than than two hours but saying that contradicting myself somewhat i found i got more sleep on the boat than i did when i was off the boat because <laughs> you sleep for you know six or seven eight hours when you're off the boat but there's nothing else to do when you're on when you're you know when you're off the off the ship so you you find that you catch up on a lot of sleep bizarrely 
Um, but yeah, sleep and sleep and space. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. But uh, what about like um, the day when you reached your destination, like after those two up to three months? Um, what was the first thing that you guys did? Like three guys, <laughs> just <laughs> South South America. What, what what's the first thing you do? Well, um, the place we landed actually was uh, was was a a, mar- a really small marina that was um, a bit down the Amazon. So we actually rode down the Amazon for a little while, which is which is again was kind of kind of a a cool thing. Um, but we got there. It was about two or three o'clock in the morning, and it wasn't open. So we landed. You know, we we pulled our boats up alongside the pol- pontoon. I found the doors were locked, so we had to climb over a barbed wire fence I think, <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> and bear in mind, bear in mind, because your your stabilizing muscles in your in your core and your legs haven't been used for for months on end, you know, for weeks on end. Sorry, you can't walk straight. So you get off the boat and you start walking like you're drunk. And so try, trying to climb over a barbed wire fence is is actually ten a hundred times more difficult when you've been on the boat for a number of weeks already. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, it's absolutely like uh, the the muscle thing that you just said. It's, uh, yeah, I didn't think that way, actually. That's, uh, you didn't, like, it's very, like, how long did it take you to walk properly then? Uh, I mean, it's, it, it does take you a good few hours. So, so when oh. we landed in, in Tenerife, yeah. Um, for, on Christmas Day, we we had to walk. We had to walk. I think like three or four kilometers into town to get some because you know, we wanted something to eat and we wanted to start understanding if there was any chance of getting the boat repaired or you know if we were if we were going to have to book flights and 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 find some accommodation as well because no one really yeah. wanted to sleep on the boat, yeah. you know, in, in the night. So we had to walk into town and we kind of caught the end of um, you know Christmas parties going on with drunk people who were you know falling out of falling out of pubs and bars <laughs> and there was there was us you know we we just been for an eight hour rowing shift to get to the into marina and the the, the sea state was incredible you know incredible it was the huge waves um the rain was lashing down it was a real a real challenge trying to get in and we almost got smashed against the breakwater which is a big concrete um kind of thing to protect boats as they come in and we were we we couldn't we couldn't. We didn't have control of our rudder, so we pretty much had to just use, you know, our, our rowing skills to try and get against the waves and and get into the into the safety of the breakwater. Um, but the the current and the wind were just blowing us closer and closer to it, and so we we had like a really precarious, you know, entry into it. But we we got off the. But you know, eventually we did do it after eight hours of of battling with Neptune, so to speak. We got in, uh, and then just kind of followed the. You know, we didn't didn't have um you know any way anywhere anywhere to go and find out information so we just had to walk towards the lights and and walk towards the kind of the shouting and the you know the the fun so we were there walking like four drunken people dressed in in sailing gear <laughs> soaking wet no one talking to each other <laughs> a few kilometers into town to try and find uh, somewhere that was open so we could get something to eat and and uh, start calling home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine it was an unbelievable experience. But I think it is important to note that this was not your only Guinness World Record. You have also done another one. Yes, yeah. So tell us about that. So 2016, the year before the the Ocean Rail, I, I 
so I, I found that there's a, a world record that hadn't been set for the fastest marathon. Um, so that's 26.2 miles carrying a 100 pound backpack. Um, so 100 pound is about 44 kilos. Uh, so it's 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 fairly fairly heavy, but obviously you've got to you know to do a marathon with it. Um, and the world record, somebody had attempted it, but they'd never finished it. Um, and I just I'd. The year before, I'd finished uh, twelve years in the in the British military as a as a Royal Marines officer and a in the military police, um, and and so I built up quite a, quite a good degree of fitness and kind of self confidence that actually I could do the I, I could do that world record and actually I could I could you know change the change the course of history so to speak um, and so in twenty sixteen with about six or seven months of training um, I set off on the London Marathon. Uh, at eight or nine a.m. in the morning, and carrying my my heavy backpack, um, and then eight eight hours later, just before the the timing map was removed, I crossed the line and um, set a, a a new Guinness World Record. Um, and so I was Guinness themselves kind of invited me into their offices to go and tell them about the experience, and, uh, and I think I, I took the backpack as well um, because I was working in the BBC just just yeah. a short walk away, um, and so. Yeah, it kind of it, it carried on this this strange journey of actually just trying things which you wouldn't think generally are possible because um, you know some sometimes people will tell you things are impossible, they're really difficult, and you take what they say at at face value and say, oh, well, they're they're saying it's it's difficult or impossible, it must be difficult or impossible. But then when you scratch away at the surface, sometimes you realise that actually you are capable of doing these things, and and you. Can have an impact on the world as well exactly yeah and uh, i think like um, you know having this mindset of taking these obstacles as opportunities to do new things um yeah it's just uh, amazing but uh, if i may ask like uh, what was your main drive and the motivation behind those two humanly almost impossible actions <laughs> Like, like what was your biggest yeah motivating factor for you motivating factor well i think it it was it was something kind of stemmed from something bigger so i i, I grew up in a single parent household um on, on a social housing project uh in the uk and and the the, the overwhelming kind of narratives i'd always heard was that you know we don't we don't amount to anything we don't you know we don't achieve big things in our lives and and that really changed in the military because i was surrounded by a lot of other positive thinkers and people who who were resourceful and they found solutions to problem we i mean you'd, you'd, part of the culture was you'd have to find a solution because it was you know you're training for for conflict um and and defense and and so that kind of that mindset stayed with me after the military because it was it was just something where you'd always you know you, you try rigorously to find a solution to something no matter how hard the obstacle was you would you know if that that meant getting other people involved in it or just trying a little bit harder or trying you're know, working a little bit smarter at, at the problem then you, know, you really could do some some incredible things and i think just after the military you know i wanted to continue that trajectory of where you know i didn't feel like i, I was um the same young man that i was in the in the social housing projects but actually i was there making this indelible mark on the world you know able to say well this this Guinness World Record can never be taken away from me because it's a world first. You know, you can't. There's three categories of world record um, classified by Guinness, which is the first, the fastest, and the, and the furthest. 
Um, the two of those things are the furthest and the fastest can be broken. Yeah. Um, but the Guinness World Record for a first can never be broken. So you hold on to that, you know, throughout life. And um, yeah, it, it, it's, I, I think it, it just, it's just something which I can kind of like hold on to now and say, well, at one point in my life, I, I had this, this big achievement. So, you know, from there, I can still achieve these other, other things as well. Absolutely, yeah, totally, <laughs> yeah, so totally fascinating to hear the story. But uh, during the events when we met uh, on this from the stage, you shared uh, some of your learnings uh, mm -hmm. from those experiences for running your own businesses and you know creative agencies in your case. So could you share some of the learnings here too? Some of your favorite. Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, well, I, th I think <clears throat> the, one of my favorite quotes actually, which um. I, I think I've, I've invented, but I'm sure somebody's probably come up with a similar metaphor, actually, is, is that um, waves can get you there faster and they can destroy you, um, which is, is, is essentially a reference to kind of obstacles. You know, you, you, can, you can think of things um, as, as something that could, you know, tear you to pieces and, and, and finish you off, or you could also see it as a way of getting there faster in that the skills you learn to deal with those waves and, you know, the, the learning you get from it can help get you to your goal faster than if you just had a calm sea because I think the, the, the second quote that I had on that day was was a uh, roller optimize um which is when you've got a calm sea I no no problems going on um we would we would optimize the boat so that it would go faster when the waves came back or we would or we would row we found if we just sat there and didn't either yeah then it, it's you're just kind of wasting time you're wasting rations you're wasting um fresh water and so you, you can't really spend too long sat in that 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 gray space of of not progressing forward or making yourself go faster the next time so um i think they, those two those two things stayed with me you know for many years afterwards because now i'm i'm very um <clears throat> I, I manage my time quite closely where it's like either either i'm working or i'm relaxing and i try not to do that sitting in the middle of the two things you know, on social media <laughs> it's, it's, it's very dangerous it takes a lot of time for me to kind of you know kick kick start my my motivation and, and get back to being productive or relaxing but um yeah those those lessons now help me with um you know running a, a business and possibly starting a second in the next few months as well <laughs> so. nice and speaking of your business uh tell us about your house of hiatus and hmm. your role as a, a chef brand designer and creative director yeah, so so House of Hiatus is is it's a, a branding and creative agency. Um, my my journey was I I started as a graphic designer back in two thousand and one, um, and I worked for a, I think a tool company was my first project, and I didn't really like it very much. It was just making catalogs and moving little pictures of screws around on the the catalog. So I thought I could actually I could actually spend my formative years as, as a 20 year old, you know, doing more interesting things since I joined the military a, a few years afterwards. Um, but what, what, what I, I found when I left the military was that actually those creative skills came flooding back to me and I wanted to actually develop them further. So back in 2016, I, I registered myself as self-employed in the UK um, and just started growing, growing my kind of list of, of clients. Um, I'd still got very good friends with many people in the BBC um, from journalists and producers. So we ended up working on, on other projects for the BBC. Um, and then, yeah, just it just kind of grew, kept on growing. And then during the pandemic, 
um, you know, there's more more people starting businesses. So it had more interest and more commissions for people either wanting to develop a brand personality or a, or um, a visual style to help them be more discoverable, make them stand out from their competitors more. Nice, yeah. And um, I, can imagine, uh, I can imagine like uh, working companies like BBC, for instance, where, I mean, I don't know for a fact, but I imagine there are like a lot of people. So it's more like a, a little bit more corporate. So what, what were the challenges for you to switch from that to being eventually a self-employed and developing your personal brand? Yeah, I mean, it, the, the BBC is, is a very big organization and the building we we're in new broadcasting house which is in central london um from the top of my head i think it's about six thousand people in the building you know so you know it, it's always always busy and there's always thing there's always somebody running around and there's always cameras you know pointing everywhere inside of the building and um, you're always bumping into celebrities and i mean the, the part that i worked in was was quite corporate and um, it was it was working with um journalist teams to make sure they were they were looking after their risk for for the productions, um, especially going to kind of some dangerous places. Um, but it, what what we also used to do as well was go and hang out with the creatives in Radio One, for example, um, and the Natural History Unit, which is kind of my, my passion for um, for nature and adventures. Really, you know, I really found it was kind of driven forward and grown when I whenever I did projects with the NHU. So it it was it was. Yes, it was both corporate, but then it also kind of opened up my eyes as to how the creative process works on a bigger scale. So we we kind of branched out into content production ourselves um, a, a few years ago, which was was um, making video productions or or photography, um, photojournalism articles, um, and we think they'll probably split that off into its own entity sometime in the coming years, um, especially as more more organisations realise that actually they need to develop kind of interesting content to to help you know improve their brand perception and, and actually grow and reach more of their target demographics um but yeah so essentially kind of it taught me probably the best the best form of project management that i could i could use for creative projects i would say yeah 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 i guess that would be like a very good insight for you know the future experiences yes yeah really was yeah but uh, like what can you tell us about your everyday life as a creative director like what what are the things that creative directors do usually? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, i mean aside from drinking lots of coffee <laughs> sometimes and <laughs> um, i mean as a creative director you you've got to come up with a strategy for how a company is going to look listen feel communicate um and and essentially kind of show itself to the outside world so it's essentially it's, it's a combination of, of managing managing the project so we outsource to um to our to our brand designers to our gra- you know graphic designers our, our copywriters and whatnot and actually as a, as a creative director you find that you have to keep constantly educate yourself as to what you know, new technology is coming out um you know we're looking at augmented reality um, you know, we, we look at obviously what Meta is doing and all the all the big industry players. But then you've also got to kind of feed your own creativity as well. So I enjoy lots of travel. Uh, I've travelled to over sixty countries in in my lifetime, um, and still plan to to keep on visiting. You know, many many more, um, to keep and uniquely understanding the world. You know, so understanding 
um, what makes you know Nordic culture different from Arabic culture and understanding sub-Saharan Africa versus South America, for example. So I find that the more diverse travel experiences I get, the more I understand the world and I can piece it together. And, and then that way it helps me give good creative briefs. So I can I can say to my brand designers, this this is um this, you know, the market, the size of the organization, their 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 geographies that are aiming to kind of um sell into or, or market themselves. And then just give more information so that I can give them a clearer, tighter brief, and it it saves them you know, many hours and days and and weeks of just saying, well, is it this? Do it should it look like this or should it look like this? Yeah. Um, they they then need to research and see what their competitors look like, so they don't end up uh, what's called blended, where you end up sitting in another competitor's shadow, but then you're not too far out of scope that you people misunderstand what market you're in, for example. So if you're if you're too radical and, and different, then people will look at you and just assume that you are, you know, something else. So it's 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 really it's it's more challenging than just you know putting pen to paper or, or sat there with a design software. You got to think, you got to think years down the line and say, well, what's you know how is this organization going to be seen um, on a global scale? How is it going to interact with technology? Um, obviously, the growth of mobile first um, organizations is is something which has fueled um kind of a, this big de-branding movement which is where you see a lot of brands have, have gone from very complex um kind of gradient colors back to very simple images now and i think that the one that springs to mind the most is pringles um you've just made their little character <laughs> very simple these days so um yeah you, you can see it in a, in, a, in everyday life um companies being de-branding so to speak um and so you, you've got to stay ahead as a creative director you've just got to stay ahead of these trends and the you know these fashions and, and understand what the industry is doing so that you can you can lead or I can lead my my creatives as best as possible and not have them spending too much time you know trying to think how roughly how it should look they can spend more time experimenting creatively exactly yeah it's you're sort of like a mastermind behind the whole <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> but, uh, I think yeah. uh my family would laugh. They they heard me refer to as a mastermind. I think they would <laughs> say, "There it is." <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Creative director is something that, uh, like, I personally would like to move forwards to. Like, I'm I'm a copywriter. Is like mm -hmm. my job. Um, yeah. Slowly, I'm doing like a content management, but also learning a lot about like branding and brand archetypes, and you know, giving the you know human soul and the personality to companies <laughs> yeah 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 and then, yeah it's, uh, slowly moving there yeah no it, it's funny you use the word personality that's that's a term i use all the time actually and actually what i find is is companies as soon as i say the word brand personality companies say that's a, the best way i've ever heard it said because they can't they can't communicate what they're after until you, you say to them talk about it in terms of a personality so, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, that was uh, my speech, and I like I did a speech at Tech Two Open Mic about uh, exactly that, like brand personalities. So I did like sort of like an experiment of uh, I named different characteristics, and I was like, "Can you name the company based on these characteristics?" Yeah. And I said like, you know, think different and innovation, and then and Apple, obviously. Right? <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say yeah. 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 So like that. That like those companies have really mastered the art of 
branding and the whole you know how the personality plays out in the company yeah um and yeah i tried to make the point that uh, personality is important <laughs> yeah yeah very much so yeah and positioning as well like you just said yeah. obviously you quoted apple and, and in the early days of when you know it was between them and microsoft they had to they realized that they couldn't be the same the same kind of corporate beast as as microsoft and they had to then adopt that kind of slightly rebellious personality didn't they and position themselves in a very different space so they sit out and you know that's that's why they're the behemoth they are these days the, those ads right well, i'm mac and i'm the pc I'm yeah exactly yeah <laughs> that's exactly all right so uh now i would like to ask you about uh more of your like a uh, personal project that you have uh, there is a blog where you share your personal experiences called the tales of adventure so tell us uh, like what's the idea behind it and uh, yeah what is it yeah yeah sure thing yeah i mean tales of adventure starts off as a speaker series in london uh, back in i think 2014 um and I, I used to go to the events and i thought it was it was really cool because we'd have speakers stand up on stage and just share a story about how they they did something that was previously you know they thought it was it is impossible like you know, that's why I first started getting the ideas about people running across the Atlantic or running across, you know, the Saharan desert, um, you know, cycling around the world. It was these really big ideas kind of came out during the Tales of Adventure. Um, and then after I rode the Atlantic, I got asked if I would take it over and then I would, I would run it as well. Um, so it's it's kind of intimidating at first, you know, being stood there in front of a crowd of, you know, people that I knew and, and friends um, and then introducing somebody on stage who then, stand and talk for 45 minutes about an adventure they'd had with the photos and the video. Um, but it, it became it became something actually I really, really enjoyed. Um, it was just, it was something where that I could actually get my passion projects out. You know, I, I, could, get, I could talk to speakers and get them to sign up on stage and uh, and share their story. And, and it would get more awareness, you know, if they're doing something for charity, for example, it would get more awareness of their, their, their charitable expedition. And it, it felt like it was having... Um, like a, a net positive experience on the on the world, um, and so when the pandemic came along, um, we had to stop live events for for you know a really really long time, and <clears throat> kind of afterwards, it just felt like it was, it, you know, it, it kind of got a bit difficult and it run its course. Um, so I I changed it into a blog where actually I started then writing down my own experience of adventures, um, you know, from the, the road to, to the Marathon de Sables and a few other things. Um, but it also became like a platform where I could actually, I could interview people about what sort of adventures they were doing. So, um, you know, people who have, have just had somebody or three friends summit Everest in the last month. So I was able to interview them and kind of just gain, gain more awareness of them, you know, their experiences and their their projects. Um, and then just, just interview people who've got this right balance of being able to work and then do have these passion projects gone at the same time, you know, so I spoke to a doctor who cycled around the world for five years after medical school. And it just, it helps me, me make context of the world, you know, when I'm, when I understand what other people are doing and how they're tackling, you know, the challenges, challenges of working. And then also, you know, having, having these kind of really interesting lifestyles. So yeah, it's also a podcast. It's a, a blog um and it's just it's just somewhere that i can just you know make make a, a a mark on the world by sharing other people's stories you know people who i find inspiring and and get them 
um, amplify that to, to a wider audience. Um, so yeah, it's it's great fun. I get to do some some drawing. Um, I get to use my graphic design and my web development skills again. So I get to you know make the website look a lot nicer and and add some some drawings to it. So yeah, it's a it's a nice project. It's a good fun. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing and it's very close to the project. This project that like essentially my uh, part time. It's also a passion project for me. Yeah, it's part uh, podcast. And it's also called the startup adventures, <laughs> adventures uh, of uh, very cool. people. So, yeah, no, very cool. Very nice to see uh, the, the website that you have put together. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you said uh, like there are some different kinds of uh, stories that you try to put out on the blog. So mostly, what kind of stories do you have there? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it does lead us on to kind of like the, the next part. Actually, is is it tells adventure was very very much about kind of travel and you know physical adventures you know so expeditions to the south pole or to everest or or something you know things that were really uh really quite unique but the, the thing is is that the, the thing i struggled with for a long time actually is that adventure the word adventure to me always brings up this idea of you know uh, uh running across a desert or the south pole or something like that whereas actually anything that takes you outside of your comfort zone is an adventure. So like, like you said there, you know, startup adventures, running a startup is, you know, we don't have, we're not born with the skills of running a startup, you know, <laughs> so we have to learn these, these things along the way. And, you know, I, I liked, I like that, that concept of adventure just being not necessarily something physical, but something which just pulls you outside of your comfort zone. Now I was going to say, uh, the, like the idea of, the name startup adventures came from the fact that like i'm just very interested in different startups and uh, yeah. I interview a lot of people in the startup industry and also i share in on my blog uh, i shared a lot of my startup stories so with this project i tried to show my startup adventures to the people. yeah 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 no it's very cool i think in this day and age as well is that um you know starting a business is is especially a digital business it's it's so much easier than you know going back two or three decades ago where people where if you started the business it would it would be to make something you have to employ people and it, you know a lot of stress with that whereas you know a digital business these days can be as big or as small as you want it to be and and you know the thing the thing that kind of defines success more than anything is just how much you're willing to to work to learn to pivot you know and and to just kind of understand how it works more than you know more than anything else i find so yeah I, 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 it's awesome that's cool <laughs> great thank you uh mm -hmm. and lastly uh about your initiative uh where we met <laughs> the big yes. story yeah. <laughs> yes yeah, I, uh, I, I imagine uh, it's the similar kind of project that you were doing in london tales of adventure right yes kind of yeah it's it's for for a long time, I'd, I'd you know been running Tales of Adventure. I think it was for like five or six years in the end, um, and I'd always always wanted to branch out into exploring other things, you know, like business or um, people, you know, more more travel stuff or those people who'd you know who, who who'd run you know a charity or something like that. But it wasn't really the right platform for it. So when I came to Estonia this or last year, one of the ideas was actually I was like, well, it'd be it'd be really cool to to start the tales of venture again but under a different in a different name you know where you can get people who've got interesting life stories and they're, they're happy to talk about it on the stage um and then also 
in, you know, to inspire an audience, but then also bring people in from the international community as well. So, and um, we had Christine, a speaker from the from who spoke to us from New York on on the pilot event, um, which is very much something we want to do to bring these kind of like these these bigger stories, <laughs> you know, these, these international ideas to you know to an audience because obviously in in um, it, Tallinn, you know, you may not have the opportunity. There's a lot of conferences here in Tallinn. It's it's oh, I, I love you know Latitude Fifty Nine and and the startup festival. Um, but I wanted to kind of keep on that buzz, that hype between those, especially as we go into the winter months where it can be very easy just to stay in your apartment, you know, and, and kind of not see or speak to other people. And and so building up the, the big stories in the summer months so that in the winter it was, you know, we had the format sorted out. Um, it was regular, it would be regular and people would know and look forward to it and almost what I found with Tales of Venture is you almost get a, like a little community building at pace and um, where people then look forward to the next one. They start to, you know, organize, you know, meetups and drinks with, with other, other people who attend it afterwards. And it becomes more of a, more of a social thing than just, you know, getting speakers up on the stage. It's actually a regular chance to check in with friends and kind of see how they're doing and exchange ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree to that. This kind of initiatives really help to, First of all, to people to do something else than just work or whatever they do. Yeah. At the same time, to connect with like-minded people, hear some untold stories that you could never imagine your peers would have, and so on. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, we, we were looking to get hopefully an, an Estonian who summited Everest um, in the uh, the next next event. We we're talking to there's I think there's seven Estonians who've summit, summited Everest, so we're. I think we're talking to like two or three of them at the moment to say, you can tell your story on the stage, please. <laughs> so. Well, everybody who's listening, next uh, <laughs> next event, big stories. Uh, yes, yeah, I think early September at the moment. Yeah, we're waiting for everyone to come back from from summer holidays so we can get there, you know, make sure there's um people get to, to come and get experience it. Amazing. Uh, now you being as uh, such an adventurous <laughs> uh, <laughs> and a digital nomad, uh, what have been your favorite destination? And we had a lot of lot of digital nomads on the show, and we've been talking about like differences between digital nomad life and being like a tourist. So, like, what have been your favorite destinations as a digital nomad? Oh, good question. Um, <clears throat> I've I've been to a lot of places that I think probably. Other people, you know, wouldn't consider um, consider going to um, destinations as a digital nomad. Um, I mean, you, you know, Europe's got a, a load of you know really cool places. You know, Portugal is is lovely. It's it's summery, but it's it's more like the off the beaten the off the beaten track um, places that I've I've been to that I've really enjoyed. So, um, I, I spent. Um, I've been to Iraq, you know, several times before. Um, you know, working working on on projects with um, you know, with consulting projects, but then also kind of working from there as well. Um, a lot of time in in Africa. Um, so there's some really cool places there that you can go and explore. Um, Kyrgyzstan is one of my favourites. Um, so I'm due to go back to Kyrgyzstan next year to take part in a bike race. Um, but I've I've and um, let's let's mount some expeditions in Kyrgyzstan, which actually what made me want to come back and just spend more time looking around uh, Bishkek, which is the, the capital of Kyrgyzstan. Um, 
I think yeah, it's it's the off the beaten off the beaten track places. I'm off to to Poland um, in a in a few weeks' time to go and to look around Warsaw. Um, but yeah, the, the, these these smaller trips where you can actually you know get under the skin of somewhere and also continue working. So that was that was to me the most important thing to you know be able to continue growing growing the business you know and and working within you know normal time time zones um i mean a, a lot of our clients are uk and the us so um i kind of find myself have to stay within you know either either the australia kind of time zone or the the uk europe um time zones kind of further the further east you go it kind of makes it more difficult but yeah. um yeah, no, I, th I think I mean being being in in Northern Europe now, I'm really excited to do more in in Finland, in see more of Sweden, Norway, um, Lithuania, Latvia, uh, and yeah, just just I, I think probably see, see the side of the world now that I've not really spent too much time in, um, you know, which is Europe. So I think I'm just going to just disappear off for a week here and there, just seeing more of more um, European cities. Yeah, yeah, time for exploration. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, if we talk about your life in Estonia, uh, what have been the things that you love and hate about living here as an international? Uh, there's really anything I hate here. It's um, I mean, it's it's so easy. Like like I said about the 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 digital infrastructure, the nature. Um, I think if anything, I've I've, I've probably worked myself a bit too hard because I like to go and explore. I've, I've been to a lot of places in Estonia. Uh, I run a secondary blog, which is is just kind of documenting all the all the cool things that I find in Estonia, um, which is like the hiking, the the adventures, the, the cool cafes, um, and so I find I find myself actually you know kind of wedging trips in um, around Estonia in the summer months, especially when when I probably should be doing more work. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I think I'm probably going to head off to Viliandi on Wednesday. Um, uh, to go and see one of the Forest Brothers um, uh, um, bunkers again, but I think I think the for me the the, the, his, the amount of history that's here, um, you know, and it's it, it feels like you know I'm I'm very much in a Nordic country with the focus on health and wellness and you know saunas and spas I'm a, I'm a huge fan of so um, yeah the, it's an opportunity to actually to go and explore more you know i think i've swam in more lakes in estonia than i think i've ever swam in any in the world and you know it's a it's quite a quite a uh, you know passion of mine is just to go find somewhere somewhere interesting and remote and go and camp there and swim there and and take the camera and photograph it so other people can find it and figure out how to get there also um yeah nothing nothing really i, I dislike about um Estonia just yeah just I'm I probably work myself a bit too hard trying to see too much of it now <laughs> nice yeah great great if you like Estonia and finally yeah. uh, uh, what would be your advice to all the up-and-coming entrepreneurs or not entrepreneurs yet but people who want to be entrepreneurs and have these ideas that they want to chase um, but like they maybe they lack of motivation or Whatever you know, like, uh, what would be your advice to those people to start their journeys and adventures? In, uh, yeah, China? I think um, I mean, it, you you've got to you've got to start off with something that you know. Um, you know, there's no there's no point if you're, you know, if you're an artist, there's no point in in trying to start something in tech because you know the world is the tech world is changing everything. Vice versa, if you're 
a technologist, there's no point in inserting something in the art or creative world because it takes such a long time to gain that reputation and, and awareness of your work. So it's got to be something that you know. Um, but then I think also with you know with things like generative AI, um, with the, the new technologies that are coming out now, is that you should, and especially you know, after the pandemic, you know, don't people shouldn't be afraid to pivot if there's you know if it's not working. I think this. I love this idea about pers persevering when there's challenges and when there's, you know, when there's difficulties. But at a point, you do have to. You can't constantly per persevere, um, and expect it to change if what's actually needed is a pivot. Um, so I think I think probably trying trying a course of action for as long as you can um, sustain it, but then not being afraid to say, do you know what, this isn't working. I need to I need to try something else, and that's that's not um, you know being weak minded. It's not lack of perseverance. It's just knowing that that the plan that you start off with at the outset isn't useful for suitable for what you're doing now. Um, so when I when I started off as you know on my creative journey again um, after the military, it was it was supplemented with um, you know kind of like risk advisory work. So I, I was. A risk consultant for a few years whilst I was building up my portfolio of, of graphic design work because it it pretty much you know I stopped doing it for a little while in the military and so it took me a number of years just to build up a good enough portfolio where I could show to people and say look this is this is the quality of my work and this is why you should commission me to do your you know to do your logo your branding and now I'm in a situation where I can I can pass those commissions off to other people um because I've I've being able to transition from that risk work in back into the you know the creative sector, so um, yeah, there's probably quite a, quite a, a few lessons there, but yeah, give it give it a really good go and listen, you know, learn as much as you can as well. I listen to podcasts, I think, product, like pretty much every day. I, you know, if I if I go to the gym or just you know walk to the supermarket or or just go cycling, then I'll I'll more than likely have a podcast or a, an audio book on um because i, I think you, you can't really ever learn you know enough i think you know you, if you ever find yourself an expert in a field um you know switching fields and understanding more about one that you don't know about so you know for example create you know, creative sector I, I learned loads about seo marketing because um it's you know a marketing tool to get you know a company more awareness and before you know it, you can become an SEO expert as well, listening to podcasts and audiobooks and trying, you know, trying things. So there's a quite a lot of, you know, a lot to be said for self-teaching, um, you know, and, and that motivation to learn and try new things because ultimately it will it will help you run a business, um, understanding the different functions of how they how they work. So yeah, but I think more than anything else, just just get started and give it a go because it's, you know. All, the longer you spend deliberating over it and and worrying about what might not happen, is the more that, more time that your competitors are going to get themselves into a better position than than you're in. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, I agree, hundred uh, percent. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for being a guest today on our show. No, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming. And uh, it was uh, honestly very interesting to hear about your adventures first, and then about your professional life. Um, thank you very much for listening. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Follow us on your favorite social media and check out the next episode. Ta-da!